0: Reading from the Book of Psalms The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God God. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. A reading from the book of Second Corinthians. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge to the harvest of your righteousness. and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. As I was watching all those families dedicate kids, I couldn't help but think of all the lists in Scripture, right? And you're like, why are all those names in there? Well, we could have had our own list today, amen? Biblical proportions here at One Fellowship. Well, today we are uh, taking a break from our series on the book of Daniel to talk about generosity. We're now entering into this season of Thanksgiving, heading towards Advent and Christmas Eve. So we're going to pause from our, our normal programming, if you will, to talk about the generosity of love. So Let's begin with a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, have you ever witnessed the generosity of love before? His name is Jose Hernandez, and his life has just been featured in the motion picture A Million Miles Away. Has anyone seen that film, A Million Miles Away? Not a single person in the congregation at the... Oh, there we go. Thank you. I missed you. A Million Miles Away. It's my favorite movie of the year. Here's why. Raised half of his childhood in Mexico and half of his childhood in California. Jose grew up a migrant kid. Wherever his father and family could harvest crops for income, they went. They'd pick this produce and then they'd pick that produce and then they'd live in transient housing all along the way. Jose didn't even learn to speak English until the age of 12. Well, why? Why? Despite growing up half of his early years in the United States, well, here's why. He grew up in the fields. You see, for Jose and his siblings, consistent schooling was hard to come by. However, Jose's whole life changed in 1972 when, as a little guy, he watched the launch of the space shuttle Apollo 17 on live TV. He was amazed, he was in awe, and at that moment he made a decision to set his goal to one day be a astronaut, an astronaut. Fast forward to adulthood, and Jose has somehow managed to defy the odds and earn a bachelor's in electrical engineering, a master's in electrical and computer engineering, and is working at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California. By this point, Jose's also met and married the love of his life, a woman by the name of Adela, and together they share several kids. Still, despite all of this stability and success, Jose can't shake his childhood dream of one day becoming an astronaut. Thus, Jose, and this is a true story by the way, thus Jose applies year after year after year to the NASA space program only to be rejected year after year after year to be an astronaut. Now get this, after being rejected six different times over six different years, Adela finally finds out about all of this. And you say, what? She finally finds out, yeah. Believe it or not, Jose kept all of the applications to be an astronaut a secret from his wife and family. So why would he do such a thing? Well, he carried, uh, still in his adulthood, he carried a lot of shame and insecurity, having grown up a migrant kid. Nonetheless, as we like to say, uh, this did not bless Adela, this secrecy. Jose, why would you keep this from me? She asked. And then they had this fight, this big fight. However, shortly after the fight and after Jose goes and runs an errand, uh, in a scene that's so beautifully um, directed in the movie. He comes home, and he's covered in shame, insecurity, and rejection, and his wife takes him, makes him sit on a couch, looks him in the eye, and she asks, how serious this, is this space thing? And he tries to dismiss it. It's silly. No, how serious is this space thing, Jose? To which he replies, it's serious. And then she looks him in the eye, her eyes and shares these words. Jose, I take you seriously. Jose, I take you seriously. In this affection and support by Adela, it got me guys, my, my, and it got Carly. Our lips are quivering, we're crying. From there, Adela tells Jose, Jose that she wants them to do whatever it takes for him to pursue his dream of becoming an astronaut. This includes, according to his wife, emptying all of their savings, going all in, thereby relinquishing her own dreams of one day opening her own restaurant. Jose, I take you seriously. So how does the movie end? Well, I'm not gonna spoil it for you. Go watch the movie A Million Miles Away But in that scene and in this movie, we see a a powerful declaration of love followed by powerful action. You see, friends, when we love someone, truly love them, we're willing to do whatever it takes to honor, bless, and even sacrifice for their well-being. That's true love, One Fellowship. Again, let me ask, have you ever witnessed that kind of love before in your life, or have you ever been the recipient of the generosity of love before? Turning our attention to today's message, this morning we're gonna do a flyover on the generosity of love and it's all gonna begin with the generosity of God's heart towards us and then our call to be generous with others. And my goal here this morning is twofold because look, we're, we're a mashup. Let's be honest, we're a mashup of people from all over, not just the United States, but even uh, other countries from around the world. We just had a new gentleman I've never seen before in the 9 a.m. sitting in the second row worshiping from Brazil. Do we have anyone from Brazil in the house today? Yes, we do. So the goal today is twofold. But first to inform and then inspire. Inform and inspire. And, and my hope is as we leave this place today, we'll be more attuned to the heartbeat of God than when we first walked in. And so with that introduction, here's the big idea we're gonna see and unpack this morning. When God is the greatest love of our lives, we will give him our best first. When God is the greatest love of our lives, we will give him our best first. And we're gonna look at this through three points. Point one, God gives the best to his kids. Point two, giving God our best first reorders our hearts. And point three, giving God our best first invest in eternity. So here we go. Point one, God gives the best to his kids. To begin any discussion on the generosity of love, we must first understand how much God has been generous to us. So let's start at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, we read these words. God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. In fact, that word good can be translated beautiful. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Just listen to the verbs of how the Bible starts. God made. God created. God blessed. God gave. God saw, and it was very good you see from the earliest pages of Genesis, God is seen as wildly and wondrously good. Do we have any, let's bring this into the room. Do we have any dog loving people here joining us today? A couple, Mary, you're kind of halfway. You, okay. Uh, you're all in. You're all in. Okay. Do you know that that pleasure you get from your dog's companionship is a gift from God? Do we have any cat-loving people here today? We will be praying for you. No, seriously. Uh, Do you know that that laughter you get from your cat's mischievousness, did I say that correctly, teachers? Okay, thank you. That's a gift from God. How about the outdoors? Any outdoor lovers today? Yes, we got some. Yes, we're in Charleston, guys. Get outdoors. You know that pleasure that you get from walking on the beach? Riding a bike, watching your kid learn to ride a bike. I've loved seeing Drew and Laura teach Silas how to ride a bike. Watching your kid learn to ride a bike, watching the sunset, watching the sunrise, or jumping off a cliff, you adrenaline seekers, into a beautiful pool of water. That's all a gift from God, or a river. The Wanda River, okay. How about any romantics in the house? Any romantics? Okay, the guys didn't raise their hand, but we got some yes. My wife loves the movie, The Notebook, and I'm uh, prone to return to the old Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movies. Can I get an amen? amen? Friends, you know that deep warmth you get when you share a special experience with a friend or a loved one? Listen, it's a gift from God. God wants the best for his kids. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now returning to scripture, even as the Israelites made their way to the promised land, God reminded them to forever hold on to him and his goodness. The Lord your God, Deuteronomy chapter eight, he's bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, as Katie Hyman likes to say, all the things. A land where bread will not be scarce or scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron, you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And then we read, you may say to yourself my power and strength, the strength of my hand to produce this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Again, God is saying through the scriptures, I give the best to my kids. I want my people to flourish. I will provide for you. I will guide you and my love will go with you, right? And yet, did you catch the the warning at the end? Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, saying to yourself, it's my power and the strength of my hands, which has produced this wealth for me. Thus, friends, from a biblical perspective, any discussion on the generosity of love must begin with God himself. The character of God is generous and it's good. From the gift of this world to the gift of community to the gift of opportunity to the gift of his very son, Jesus. God is wildly, wondrously, and extravagantly generous. And that's the biblical witness. You see, again, God wants the best for you. He wants the best for his kids. But again, there's a rub we so easily and too often forget the source of our blessing and our goodness in this life. This leads us to point two, giving God our best first reorders our hearts. As I shared uh, in our intro, we've been making our way through the book of Daniel. And last week, we talked about the fiery furnace and how this king, Nebuchadnezzar, had set up this huge golden image or statue or idol and then called for people all throughout his kingdom to come and bow down to that idol to say, look at King Nebuchadnezzar and look at his gods. We fall before them, right? And as we explored that passage, you may be tempted, because I'm tempted, to look at that and go, that's kind of weird. I would never fall before a golden 90 foot by nine foot idol, right? But oh, such a thought would be naive. Naive because in the Bible, we read that we're all prone to wander and give our hearts away to certain things and people. And so uh, as we, let me catch myself here. As we look at Scripture, I think it's important for us to understand this word idol and the definition around an idol. So in Scripture, we read this word idol again and again and again. According to John Piper, it is the thing. The idol or an idol is the thing. It's the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more more than God. Fair enough. Expanding this notion, this means an idol can be anything and anyone. It can be, listen, kids, students, it can be a sport. Growing up, tennis was an idol to me. My whole well-being hinged on my performance. It can be a job. It can be a position. It can even be an aspiration. It can be a relationship or it can be the, the first for a relationship. It can also be a material possession. Quote, an idol is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life or identity, writes Tim Keller. So idols are not bad things. They're really good things turned into ultimate things. Let me repeat that. Idols are not bad things. They're really good things turned into ultimate things. When you hear that, does anything come to mind for you? So again, why are we focusing on idols? Well, as Butch read, let's read Psalm 24 again. The earth is the Lord's, okay, and everything in it. The world, all who live in it, he founded it on the seas, established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in and... Idol or swear by a false God. Okay, I get it, pastor, but what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. None of us have clean hands or a pure heart. You see the problem? You see the rub? In fact, in one of those, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I go in my bathroom, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh my goodness, what is, what's happened, right? In one of those passages where you're reading the Bible, you're reading the Bible and you're like, me? Yes, me. We read in Jeremiah 17, The heart, it's deceitful above all things and beyond all cure. Who can understand it? Similarly, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes that outside of the intervention or rescue of God, all humans have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. You see, friends, this is what we're saying. We all struggle, we all struggle with idols. I do, you do, and Kathy Amendolia does. (laughs) And here's the deal. To this end, based on the sheer volume of verses on this topic, scripture tells us there's one particular idol that seems to threaten every person more than any other idol. And what would that idol be? It's the love of and preoccupation with money. According to scripture, the greatest threat to your relationship with God is the love of and preoccupation with money. Hoarding it, fearing it, all the things. Quote, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex. Yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me, writes Keller. Furthermore, as another writer summarizes it, there are more than 500 verses in the Bible concerning prayer and nearly 500 verses concerning faith, but there are more than 2,000 verses on the subject of money and possessions. Jesus talked about money in 16 of his 38 parables. Clearly, from the Bible standpoint, we need to understand money and how to handle it. So that's why we're talking about it today. It's also why in the earliest pages of the Bible, don't miss this, friends, in the earliest pages of the Bible, we see God introduce a spiritual practice or rhythm to return our hearts to him. And what is that practice or rhythm called? Tithing. Tithing. Specifically, let me define Tithing. It's the spiritual practice whereby God's faithful are instructed throughout their lives to give God their best first and thus return their hearts to him. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your what? Your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. A tithe, which if you didn't know, literally means a tenth, of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. It's meant to be set apart for the Lord. And so as we pull back and look at God's view on money and us, a few things become clear. First, as I said before, God cares about his kids. God cares about us. And the best for us comes when we recognize that God is the Lord of our lives, including the Lord of our money and our families. Second, God calls his people to tithe as a spiritual practice of honor and faith. Don't miss this, honor and faith. Notice how we're not instructed to give God our last, but our first our first fruits our first earned etc why because it takes little faith to give god our leftovers conversely it takes genuine faith to give god our best first demonstrating faith not only in our own lives but to our families in trusting him each week each month each year each decade and third i want to point this out cuz it's over and over again in scripture did you notice where the tithe is primarily to be directed according to the Bible? To the house of the Lord. Why is that? It's because God loves the church. God loves you. And God sees the church as his primary vehicle by which he's going to extend his love to our broken world. What's this mean? It means, yes, friends, me and you. And the kids in the back, and the kids downstairs, along with those who have yet to arrive in this community, along with communities like ours around the world, are the vehicle by which we're to bring God's love to our broken world. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, Malachi three, that there may be food in my house, meaning place of worship. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there's no more need. Thus, the spiritual practice of tithing, giving God our best first, reorders our hearts, steering us away from the idol of money. And it returns our trust to its proper place, not to ourselves, not to what we have, but to God alone. And this leads us to point three, giving God our best first, invest in eternity. I really want to bring this to a heart level and bring it into the room. Over the years, we've received many testimonials and encouraging messages from those in our church or those just discovering our church about the impact of this community, of the impact of you. Here's the first one I'm going to share. To the pastoral staff and church at large, I wanted to write and say a heartfelt thank you from myself and my wife, Linnell. We attended one fellowship for the year that we were in Charleston. And from the moment we stepped in the door, we were welcomed, loved, and accepted. We have rarely seen such care for newcomers as we did at one. Everyone was kind and friendly. We are introverts by nature, but that didn't stop the love that we were overwhelmed with. Linnell and I have been in Uh, Church, our whole lives in one fellowship was a breath of fresh air for us spiritually. God is working in and through the church and we're blessed to have experienced that. Drew Hensley recently emailed us to say he was praying for us and that came after a very difficult time for our family. It was an incredible blessing. We are still able to see God's hand working in hard times. With thanks, Caleb and Lanell. Isn't that beautiful? Here's another. This one a little more humorous. Mr. Sorensen and Mr. Quinn, I just wanted to thank you both for welcoming our son Asa to one fellowship. He talks about church often and mentioned you both specifically. It was a relief for us that he was attending regularly. We were concerned with him being in the Navy. And not many people he's around from the base go to church. With him turning 21 and soon moving off base, we hope he continues to make church a priority. My wife, Sally, and I also enjoyed visiting during Easter. Several of your members made it a point to make us feel welcome. One even said it's a great place to live and that we should move down. That's hospitality. Congrats on having such an inviting church. Good luck in continuing to grow and and build. Please continue to uh, pray for Asa and help him grow in his faith. Thanks again, Jason. One more letter. This from a single mom written during the height of the pandemic. Here it is. This one's getting me for a number of reasons. Hey, Paul and Molly. I wanted to express our deep thankfulness and appreciation for notes that Liam has been receiving from Logan with one kids and for the treat that showed up on our doorstep from one kid's ambassadors, Heather and Meg. I love our church so much and wanted you both to be encouraged by the genuine love and support that we have felt, and I'm sure many others in the church have felt, with these tokens of love. I appreciate both of you and all that you do to love and support our kids, our congregation, and our city at large. I have been a part of several churches over my 21 years here in Charleston but the genuine sense of community and family that I feel here is like no other. Be encouraged for you are surely advancing the kingdom. Have a great day, Leslie. Aren't these notes incredible? I'll stop there. They're not just to me, they're to you. They're to all of us, to one fellowship, to this family of faith. Listen, listen I could stand up here and read letters like this for hours. It got me. I, I could sit up here and, and read letters like this for hours. Uh, just preparing for today's sermon, I looked at my inbox folder with these encouraging notes. I have 321 emails like this, and that's not even including the physical box I have under my desk at our house. It's incredible. There's a reason today's passage from 2 Corinthians is so powerful. You see, as recipients of the extravagant love of God, which culminates in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, whereby God offers us his best first. Scripture tells us that the generosity of our love has the ability to do what? Echo throughout eternity, ripple throughout the ages. Just listen. This service that you perform, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So friends, what is this saying? It's saying this, our generosity is an investment in eternity. Others will praise God. Others will praise God, we read. It's like us saying to the kids in the back of the room, all the students in the room, all the couples and families we've been pouring into, and the many rejected and brokenhearted people that walk through our doors. It's like us saying to them, I take you seriously. I take you seriously. We see you and we care for you, and God takes you seriously. This gets me so excited because it can ripple throughout eternity. You see, giving God our best first changes not only our lives, it changes the lives of others. In the first service, there was this guy named Mike. Early on in our church, he's like, I don't like this idea of giving. I'm a reluctant giver. My wife, Trish, is making me give. <laughs> he likes to say he's from Chicago, but he's really from Gary, Indiana. He's tough. He's direct, sometimes too direct. But then a few years ago, he said, something has changed in me. This is the best investment I've ever made in my life. Because every person that walks through these doors, I'm investing in their lives and their families. One fellowship, what if instead of receiving 321 testimonials, what if we imagined and prayed for 100 times that number? Or 1,000 times that number? All changed lives because of the gospel of Jesus Church, I believe that's our calling, and I really do believe that's our trajectory. Moms, dads, grandmas, and grandparents, little kids and big kids, all writing, Thank you. Thank you for seeing me and caring about me. Thanks for taking me seriously, Trey. Thanks for taking me seriously, Jim. Thanks for taking me seriously, Jack. Oh, the generosity of love. You see, giving God our best first invests in eternity. So as we close, hopefully you feel both informed and inspired about God's heart for the generosity of love. May I suggest two calls of action. First is this, just pray. Pray that you would be filled with a heart full of gratitude for all God has done for you, understanding that God wants the best for you. If you question that, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and pray about how God would move in you to move in the generations to come. And second, here's the invitation, take the next step. Beginning today, we invite you to take that next step in your journey of the generosity of love. Specifically, I'm gonna suggest four different opportunities or steps. First, if you're just starting your generosity journey, we invite you to start right where you are. I think it's so cool that in the Gospels, the example of a generous heart is a widow with two widows' mites. It's not about what you don't have, it's about what you do have and what God can do through your generosity. Everyone starts somewhere. Or if you're someone who's uh, given but not consistently given, we invite you to consider a consistency in your generous, um, I, I really, act of worship. Here's a confession. Carly and I used to be chunky givers. It's my wife. That sounds weird, I know. But random times through the year, we'd throw money here or there. That's not the biblical way of generosity. Predictability leads to sustainability, both in one's own faith walk and in an organization's uh, life. So pray, God, would you have me more consistent and faithful in my generosity? Or third, maybe you've been given consistently but not a full tithe. Maybe this is your challenge to pray about making your generous gift a full tithe. We know this can be a big step, but we believe God honors those who honor him and take that next step. Or fourth, for those who've been tithing but sense God calling you do something extravagant, we invite you to pray on and act on his prompting. Pray on and act on God's prompting. Here at One Fellowship, here's here's the opportunity. We have plenty of capital needs right in front of us. And I love what uh, Pastor Jim and Kathy said during the One campaign about a year ago when they were talking about their own heartbeat for the campaign in the future of our church. They, They said, we're not even gonna be here to see it come to fruition, but that's why we're so excited. And that's the truth. What we do today will echo throughout eternity. And in the coming days, let me close by sharing this quote. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And this goes far beyond resource or money. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. One fellowship, hear this today. You are loved in Jesus Christ. And we are so excited to both receive that love and give it away with you in the coming days. When God is the greatest love of our lives, we will give him our best first. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder of your generous heart. And God, I pray for, um, by your spirit, a peace and a prompting that moves us forward to be more and more like your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen.